That must be Darren tonight. I'm drinking <laughs> milk and eating cookies. Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 312 is recorded live December 22nd, 2016. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Gilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan where it got kind of crispy earlier this week. Joining me this week, we have Mac the Dive Mentor. How you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well. Pretty much thawed out. Can you believe the temperature was 30 degrees today? That is unbelievable. And what I was referring to when it's saying crispy is that we had negative 17, at least according to my car. Not sure how accurate that is. Uh, but I left home and it was 11. And by the time I got about a mile down the road, it had dropped down to negative 17. So a uh, little cold in, in the well, afternoon. That was, on, that was Monday. That was on Monday, right? Yep. And then also joining this, us this week, we have Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? I am just great, Darren. Thank you very much. And since Kevin's not here tonight, I'll say, Darren, how are you? I'm doing great myself. It's the first day of my holiday vacation. I don't have to go back until about the 4th of January, so I'm enjoying that. And then also, for those who have been following along, we've We've teased that Max getting a new microphone, and you'll hear his velvet tones coming through on his new setup. I just wish it were velvet toned. Uh. <laughs> see now, now see he's got a real setup where uh, he's looping back and he's he's hearing his own voice. So that's got to be a little bit different for you. I I don't think I sound this way. It sounds really weird. I'd like to have that James Earl Jones voice. You know, that's yeah. what I really want. I'll have to do some research. I think we can do a little voice augmentation. You know, we could have like a little Darth Vader change up for you. I'd be okay, just so it's not that helium voice. Yeah. <laughs> well, then Kevin is, uh, he's, he's about halfway through his holiday rush. Uh, he asked if we needed him on tonight. I think he wanted to catch up and get some sleep. So, uh, I'm sure he'll be back joining us after the first of the season, first of the year. I don't know how long does that last. I, I imagine after the after Christmas, you still have all the people who shipped it too late coming in. Well, I think most of it's going to be shifted because the snow is doing ski patrol. Ah, that's true too. Yeah. The, well, neither rain nor snow nor gloom of night. Well, let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. Like to thank all our listeners. Uh, we don't have the chat room running tonight. It was acting up and we're trying to get this new gear going. So we apologize for that. This is the first step of our progression with Matt getting his microphone. Thanks to anonymous donor donors. If you like to anonymously donate, we can accommodate that. Also, if you think the show is at least worth a dollar, why not drop a dollar or so in at Patreon? Follow the links from our website, www.scubaobsessed.com. Also, the website has been moved to a much faster web host. Also, thanks to our Patreon supporters, so you can appreciate that. Uh, try it on a phone. It's mobile optimized or 
just visit the regular website on your computer, but it should be much quicker. And all the other sites that we host are all in the process of getting moved over. So uh, the Underwater Preserve, the Mud Club website, and a few other sites are all going to get a little speed boost here coming up in the next week or so. After that, we're going to be changing where we host the audio, and then we'll be progressing on advancing the streaming for a new chat room and, and maybe doing some video options. So this first article is one that from time to time we've seen where they talk about water sports that can contribute to your overall body getting tone and in shape. And the only reason I cared about this is because they talked about scuba divers and that they had some, some pretty people uh, posing. Uh, I was going to say, if you said it was only because they talked about scuba divers, I was going to encourage you to look at the photos. Yes. <laughs> so if you like yes. attractive people uh, like uh, kayaking, surfing, sailboarding, paddleboarding, and scuba diving, uh, this is the article for you. And what they say for exercising just on the scuba diving one, if you want to know about the others, you have to go to the links that we will have on our show notes. Thanks to Jim Billings for putting those up. But scuba diving, all those scuba divings, a low-impact workout, the constant resistance provided by the water can tone your entire body and help you burn around 500 calories in just a single dive. And I wonder if they're factoring in the hauling the gear down and then if you do diving like we do this time of year in an ice dive, I bet you that could easily be twice that. Especially if your suit leaks. Yeah, that, that, that's true. <laughs> a little leaky suit in 33-degree Fahrenheit water will make it a little bit. Yes, with a five, minus 5 degrees uh, weather temperature and a little wind. But the, the fun part or a good part of the diving is the Fellowship afterwards, which involves reloading on calories. Yes. Yeah, you can take them in solid or liquid form. Or chocolate with whipped cream on top, right, Jim? Been there, done that. <laughs> yeah. You know, burger, soup. Hot chocolate? Yes. This next one is those, or these underwater sculptures are a window into a new frontier for art. Located near Canalina Island, 22 miles off the coast of Los Angeles, Atkins Underwater Pavilions project consists of three massive submerged geographic, uh, geographic geometric shapes made from artificial rock and mirrors. All are anchored to the ocean floor at different depths. Visitors to pavilion can choose to snorkel view the structures from the surface, but the experience is optimized for scuba divers who descend into each perspective bending artwork, glimpsing the reflective surface as well as the marine life swimming around them. And that does look oh. pretty cool. I wonder, is that like the mirrors at the fun house? <laughs> it could be. Uh, they, it's got to freak a little... the fish. It's got to freak the fish out though. It, it could. It's a, uh, or they could get in a fight. I used to have uh aquarium fish and they used to get in fights with their own reflections. So I picture something similar happening here, um, but some unique shapes. It looks a little bit like uh role playing dice that people yeah. have. They look expensive. I'm trying to figure out what they're made of because uh, the dry land shot is very intricate. Well, and it's pretty large, too. Yeah, it's shot on the back of the boat. Yeah, that thing's probably 20 feet in diameter. Oh, yeah, I just saw that second shot. You're Yeah, it's every bit. Oh, wow. It's huge. Well, that, well, that might be – well, that's to be a different boat because there's a crane lifting that. And there's not a crane on – the boat they're lifting it off. So they had one boat that hauled it out and then another one's lift, uh, depositing them. 
that's still a big object. Yes, it is. Yeah. So, and I, I wonder how deep it is for scuba and how deep it is for snorkelers or it's the same depth. Well, they do have a video, which I haven't watched. Um, but they go into that. This article goes into quite a depth about it. And they have some nice photos. I thought it was interesting. These pavilions could collapse or they could get ripped away in the current. They are not made to be passive. They're not meant to end up on the floors of the Whitney Museum and not, they're, they're meant to be touched. Yeah. And they have a website, www.underwaterpavilions.com. And that gives you well, some of the same photos. Oh, this one gives you a map of where it is. So if you're in Avalon, California, Avalon Dive Park, St. Catherine's Way, uh, near uh, the Avalon Casino and Casino Point. Well, that's kind of a beautiful setup there. It looks like they've got one of them floating. It appears to be tethered. <clears throat> huh. Yeah, they, they show a couple shots where they're... Uh, all three of them are sitting on the on the ground. Yeah, Doug Atkins about my age. So cool. I I dive them. I wonder if they are, are they meant to be down there for any length of time? Because I figured the algae and stuff will start to grow on them. Does it say that? No, they haven't said uh, they were put in the water this year. I'm trying to scan through see if they have anything where they talk about it. Other than that comment you said where they could get ripped away in the current. Makes me think that they're trying to create a little bit of sense of urgency, so you should go out and see them, and then if they do fail, oh well, they weren't forever. Right, because here they're saying they didn't really have a, a location per se. They said what? They didn't, they had over 50 places they had looked at, and they said they placed them based on intuition and serpendipity. <laughs> that sounds interesting for as much money as those things must have cost to put together and to launch them and to maintain them. Well, when I saw that there's a the the spot, I don't know if that casino point meaning it's literally a casino, or is it just the name of the area? Because if it's a casino, you could bet that would be where some of the money could have come from. Huh. Well, I, I looked at a couple of links afterwards, where it said experience now conversation with Doug, the gentleman who made this, mm -hmm. and it shows another one of his creations. Tishorn Museum and Sculpture Garden, and they're all quite interesting and involved. So it's definitely art. Nice. Then there's a shipwreck, a Crimea shipwreck. Could be the fabled British battleship carrying military gold. A shipwreck discovered the bottom of the Black Sea could be the British naval shipwreck sunk during the Crimean War more than 160 years ago, historians believe. Archaeologist work off the coast of Crimea City of, uh, oh my goodness, Yevpatoria has found that close. a graveyard of ship remains at the bottom of the Black Sea, reported uh, Zevid, Zevida, uh, Z-V-E-Z-D-A, Zidda. Yeah, I, I, I think that means local TV. Yeah. It's like a WKRMH or something, you know, you, you're not supposed to pronounce it. Uh, at least three vessels identified in the area believed to have been involved in this 19th century Crimean War, with the la latest wreck fabled to have been carrying 30 barrels of gold. An emblem on the ship suggested as part of a British armada set to do battle with, British, with Russian forces during the 1853 to 1856 armed conflict. 
Footage of the dive near the vessel shows what appears to be wooden uh, remnants of the old battleship thought to have been named the Black Sea Prince, reported Express UK newspaper. Discovered less than a mile from the shore, supposed Black Sea Prince rests near four other shipwrecks, which could properly identified only after full excavation. Two of them are believed to be of French origin. We've been aware of the two ships from the five during the 2013 expedition. We assume they've sunk in a storm on November 14, 1854. We discovered fragments of a brass plate and uncovered wooden smoking pipe dating back to the middle of the 19th century. Joint British-French fleet has lost 10 ships during the storm, according to historians. Back in 2009, a century-old craft-loaded stone slabs also found not far from the Crimean coast, dubbed Grin's, uh, what's that, Brigantine. Archaeologist Sergei Vernov said the vessels likely have sunk due to displacement of heavy stone sheets in the cargo hold. It seems like they've always got to throw in that there's a, a barrel of gold. Well, it makes it interesting and more appealing to me to think about. Um, I thought it's interesting also that this is about the same time off a couple of years from the Civil War, so it does have a great impact. Their casualties in that war was over 200,000 killed, so it wasn't like a little item. So we this, just don't hear about I, it because it's not America. Right, I'm not familiar with this one. I, I, I like to think I'm up on some world history, but 1853 to 1856, I'm not, not sure. Yeah, it's before our Civil War. Well, that also this is leading into trench warfare in World War One, uh, and that was trench war, war. That was trench warfare here with the British French troops trying to push into Russian positions. So we figured two hundred thousand killed, and that's all the armies, including the Russians. It's quite interesting. The other item that was interesting about that, one of the uh, names that you hear associated with this war, if I mentioned the name, you'd be very familiar with her, but you wouldn't associate her with this until I mentioned her name. You're going to say if Marie Antoinette? I, no, if I, if I mention something about nurses, is there any particular nurse that comes to mind when you think about nurses? Uh, what what to- is the first... First name was Florence. Does that help any? Nightingale. Really? Florence Nightingale. Yes. She basically came, rose to fame during this war. Uh, this was the first war in which you saw letters being sent home, and many of them were published in newspapers. Uh, and then Florence Nightingale heard about the poor medical conditions in the Crimea region and went there as a civilian to help, and she became a big news story. And that was the uh, first media-driven war. Yeah, because that would be before, because Spanish-American War was a big one for uh, media. Let's see. There's a story behind a bag of scuba crap on eBay. Oh, yes. Amy Cook was recently cleaning out her attic in Lubbock, Texas, when she came across her husband's scuba gear. It hadn't been used in years, so she got his permission and posted the items on eBay, but her post titled, Steve's Scuba Crap and Why It Has to Go. Uh, offers for dusty gear are currently above $200. Scuba gear is a reminder of my husband's fun family time with his siblings before I came into the picture cook's rights. And no, I'm awesome, and it's not because they didn't like me. She goes and describe a lone deep-sea adventure she went on with a husband, his brothers and sisters, and their spouses and involved a lot of Dramamine and learning that was surprisingly easy to crawl 
onto a drilling platform in the middle of the ocean because she was seasick and the guys didn't want to waste a day. Uh, she tells the local TV station she plans to donate part of her profit to the March of Dimes, but writes on eBay that she may also use it for scuba lessons. Wouldn't that be hilarious? <laughs> I endorse that. I think if there's nothing more appropriate than than selling scuba crap and turning it into lessons. You know, the one thing about old dive gear, as long as you've got a dive tank in your closet, you consider yourself a diver. So you can't get rid of all your gear or you're not a diver. Ah. Isn't that true? I, if you got a scuba tank in your garage, you're a diver, man. Now you can at least convince yep. somebody because you got potential. Uh, but I think if you sell all your gear, then you have to get rid of the plate on the front of your car that says you're a diver. Yeah, I, I think so, too. I, I still drive in the work every day, and it seems like a good 10 to 20% of the, the license plates in the front of vehicles seem to have dive flags on them. Well, you saw that talking about stolen gear. I'm just looking for it even as I speak. There was a posting on Facebook, and our, the ones that we frequent, that somebody had uh, their house broken into, and all that gear was taken, his rebreather, his bailout tanks. I'm looking for the article now. Wow. I don't know if it was one of Tracy's friends, but I'm looking at the gear, and it's like, oh, that's a pity. Yeah, so, it was I mean, top-notch gear. Well, it's unfortunate, but it seemed like that would be fairly easy to trace, wouldn't it? Well, that was what they were saying. They gave the serial number of the rebreather and says, anybody gets a really, really, really good deal on a rebreather, check this serial number. Yeah. Yeah, because it's not like you can just fence that off pretty easy. And uh, how do the codes work on a rebreather? I know that they have to be unlocked as part of your training, but is it kind of like an anti-theft on a device? You have to put a code in every once in a while, or once it's unlocked, it's unlocked? Uh, it depends on the rebreather. I think the ones you're talking about are... Once they're unlocked, they're unlocked to that level for good. Okay. And since I've already delved into Facebook already, and items like, you know, post it there. Somebody steals your gear, put it out. It's amazing how far that covers and, you know, how many people give it back to their friends who are divers. It's like, uh, I think a guy, Mark Thomas, he's giving hints here on breakaways on your second stage regulators, how he makes them with an O-ring and a wire tie, because you can always break the... You know, the O-ring pretty easy. It's, it's quite interesting that we can find dive-related do-it-yourself topics on Facebook, too. Mm -hmm. I'm making a note of that one because I want to look at this later. Yeah. Now, looking at that regulator that got the kid in the photo showing up, any idea what how old that gear is? I mean, got to find it again. Let me back up, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm looking in the – I I can't well, – one is upside down. <laughs> See the exhaust? Yeah. It's, it's a really a Oh, it's not a mustache warmer? I don't think so. I just was looking. It looked a little discolored. I imagine that was probably a clear whiter plastic when it was new. Yeah. And it's uh, kind of yellowed with age. But I don't well, see any telltale signs of maker on that. Yeah, if, it, if it's a couple of years old, you're talking wetsuit, not too good. Now, spear gun might be interesting if the rubbers are good on it. Mm-hmm. Too bad they didn't put the eBay part did they? Uh, I think it is. Yeah, let me take a – there is a link yes, in there. Yes, there is. I just found it. Oh, and she said it was sold. $233. Sold on December 18th. Oh. Well, Jim, can she get a scuba class for that? Mm, I'm sure she could. The question is how reputable would the dealer be? 
Well, darn. I'd like to see all the other items. That would have been interesting. Uh, I'm I'm surprised we didn't have anybody comment on the photo on the auction a couple over from there. Oh, Lady I Diver and photo shoot from the 80s ad. No, oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, you got to go to kind of eBay. Okay. Says, okay, yeah, now I do. Yeah. Don't tell Jim, though. He'll go right to it. <laughs> yeah, Jim doesn't want to see that. No, no. But did you go look, Jim? <laughs> no, I didn't. You should. <laughs> yeah, you'll appreciate it. Okay, oh. there's a link. What link am I following here? Yeah, twelve ninety eight plus five ninety eight shipping and handling. Careful on the handling. Did you find it, Jim? <laughs> uh, I'm following the link now. Okay, so I see the link for the scuba crap. Yeah. So then you go down. It says more chances to get what you want. I don't see that. Oh, off the article. Yes. Yeah, you click on the eBay link in the article. Yeah, I clicked on the eBay link in the article. I did that. And that took me to the eBay site. Yeah, it takes you to the eBay site. And then if you scroll down a little bit, they've got some other auctions that you may be interested in. We'll just just have to save it for him, show him later. Yeah, just send me a link to it later. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, no problem. Edit this out. Yeah, this is, this is, of course, we just edit all this out. Nobody. Well, also we'll be going there looking for the site we're talking about. (laughs) Or the mysterious picture. Yeah. Well, then we have a video of the week, Mysterious Ghost Shark Caught on Film, uh, popularly known as a ghost shark for his, uh, Particular features, the exquisite creature was spotted by MBARI in the Northern Hemisphere for the first time, closely related to sharks and rays. These chimeras haunt the deep and dark oceans with their spectral sheen, dead eyes, and patchwork facial skin. Even more bizarre, male ghost sharks are endowed with retractable sex organs located in their foreheads, making them literally dickheads of the sea. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I like that one. That's good. <laughs> uh, I don't but, think we're going to see too many of them because they were saying the animal was spotted at 6,700 feet deep water. Yeah, that's uh, that's a little bit of a deco time. <laughs> Usually but, with, a, with a casket involved. But that's a weird-looking animal, though. I mean, it is bizarre. Look at the size of the eyes and... The pattern, you know, if you painted those squares and stuff, cameo, you look camouflage it, it is bizarre because it doesn't even look, uh, if you watch the video of it swimming around, it's surprisingly maneuverable. Sorry about the noise, but, and that doesn't look like what I would consider a shark either, does it? Uh, yeah, I, if somebody had just shown you a picture at an angle, you might not even realize it was a shark. Yeah. Uh, but certainly bizarre looking. Uh, and they say that the sex organs retract into their head, so they will <laughs> actually come out and do their thing. Uh, what the other, the thing that also struck me about the article was that they hadn't been recorded until they did they recorded it in a submersible in 2009, and it's taken all the way until October 2016 for them to publish in a journal and release the video. Why do you suppose that is? You didn't want to share? I I don't know. Why would you not share that? You you didn't want, you afraid somebody else is going to get the glory for it? 
Well, if you did that, you'd, you'd want to say you found it first. Yeah. No, I, I just, that's the type of thing that kind of gets me nuts is that, uh, you know, and I don't know specifically about this project, but many times uh, these are grant funded projects. And the reason you're providing grants is so that the world in general can benefit from them. And here it is sitting hidden for seven years. So maybe somebody can enlighten us as to why it takes so long. And then how about well, this? Go ahead. I was going to say, has anybody else experienced that our computer just shut off? <laughs> no. Did yours? Yeah, mine just froze. Everything just deader than hell. Uh, must be those photos you're looking at on eBay. Yeah. I don't know about that. They didn't, you know, they didn't just lock up on the photos. It's an advertisement. Oh, yeah. Just, just locked right up. Hey, I did find one for my favorite movie. Which is? The Deep. Huh? I'll put that on my Christmas list for Santa. Wait a minute. Was that the one with Bethesda in it? Is that her name? Jackie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I know the one you mean. The t-shirt shot. Yeah. That's the one where she's swimming and they've got whatever coming up. Mm-hmm. I thought you had that. I thought you had a picture of that already. I remember that from years ago. That's always been one of your favorites. What can I tell you? I've got good taste. Okay. On that one, I agree. That's a pretty good one. I like that one. That was a good shot. That is quite interesting on that go shark, though. That is a weird looking animal. Yeah. Or fish, however you want to call yeah. it. And, and the video is, is interesting. They, they've had photos and of course they washed ashore before, but this is the first time they had actually recorded video of it. A few years before they'd actually seen it swimming around, but they had not, they weren't able to record it. Well, I could see the new title though. Dickheads of the sea. At least we know what they mean now. Yeah. Maybe maybe that could be that that'd be a good mascot for a dive club. <laughs> I'm gonna have to remember and go back and see if I can get something from that, some kind of <laughs> shot of it or something. Maybe, maybe that could be like our, a, or, a patch. Yeah, yeah, that could be a special subgroup. Yeah, the Ghost Shark League. Well, I, you know, they say divers do it deeper and things like that. I whatever that means. So this might be appropriate for the shark people. Yeah. Well, and how about this for some potentially cool scuba gear down the road? Uh, DARPA's uh, been working on a way to communicate underwater uh, using a mechanically based antenna, AMEBA, developing portable ultra-low frequency, 1 hertz to 3 kilohertz, and very low frequency, 3 kilohertz to 30 kilohertz transmitters that can penetrate materials like water and stone with basic data. Scuba divers could send text messages to each other, while search and rescue teams could still be in contact with the outside world while they were in tunnels. And they go on and talk about uh, some stuff. But uh, Another article I, I saw on this, they're, they're actually coming up with uh, some some receivers that they're actually testing out. DARPA is quite an interesting group. If you've ever looked at a lot of their think tanking, mm-hmm. a lot of the games we have nowadays, uh, you know, like, tank battles and stuff. Some of their simulators are awesome. Uh, a concept came about years ago was making a, an egg and the front opened up and you got in it. It's almost like you're wearing a suspension suit, weightless, mm-hmm. and you get in and it's connected through the internet and it was on gimbals and gyration, you know, uh, so you could go through different planes. Uh-huh. And they use that to fight simulated air wars in an aircraft. Really? 
And their video part was such, you know, it was restricted. What you see is like if you're looking out a porthole or a, a view screen and you're fighting somebody in a different state. It was, it's quite interesting. They do the same thing with tank battles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're talking long time ago. So the initial video games. Wow. Yeah. Darpa's interesting. I'd be curious what kind of money we're talking though. Oh yeah. They, they can do, uh, you know, uh, military and commercial is one thing, but filtering down for our kind of use is a little different. Yeah. If, I was just looking at the Wikipedia article on DARPA. Uh, annual U.S. The annual budget for DARPA, and this is what they admit to, is $2.97 billion. It was formed on February 7th, 1958, 58 years ago, headquartered in Arlington, Virginia, and has 240 employees. Wow. So that's a little over a billion dollars for every hundred people employed. Well, fight smarter. Uh, One of the guys that 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 led to, they talked about the inventor of Bluetooth. Mm -hmm. It's where wireless is going next. Have you seen that one? No. That's that's an interesting one there. Think IBM Cloud. I'm just trying to tell you where that came from. You know where you're reading that it says takes, it's easy to take modern wireless communication for granted? You saw that first line on the article? Yeah. If you clicked on it, it goes right to the inventor of Bluetooth on where wireless is going. It's quite interesting. That he, he puts forth. Yeah, this is, this is an, a little uh, off the topic for for diving, but it goes into the aspect of communications. Well, Bluetooth is one of them. When I I remember when it first came out and was starting to be released, we had questions of whether it would actually even work, uh, and we we were convinced because it it was we were looking at it as because Wi-Fi, what we call Wi-Fi today, that wasn't a for sure thing either. And we had certain wireless technologies. Uh, the most common that everybody had was not cell phones. It was uh, when we had corded phones, everybody had the little 900 megahertz handsets, which had a remarkably good range. Uh, and we were doubting whether Bluetooth, when it first came out, was going to even be compatible to work around a Wi-Fi. Uh, when I looked at some of the, the frequencies and spectrums, uh, there was seemed to be some overlap. And the range wasn't good. So you're like, well, what what good is this really relatively low-range signal going to be good for? And it's actually taken off quite well. Oh, yeah. I think from 2004 is whenever it started saying it ain't going to go away again. Yeah. yeah. And they, and they keep advancing it. They keep uh, the standard you've got today is quite a bit improved over uh, when it first got released. So that, that's an interesting article as well. Yeah. I wonder where they took the picture of the diver at. That does look like a research tank, doesn't it? Yeah, it certainly does, with the hatch patterns yeah. for distance and depth. Yeah, that's kind of the giveaway right there. Yep. I like that wrist, that wrist uh, light he has, too. That's nice. It's not that big a light, and it looks pretty bright. Uh, and it's and also interesting that they're doing open scuba, not rebreathers. But look at that uh, scuba tank. That's not your everyday valve on there. Is that like a Y valve? I was trying to determine, see what that really looked like. I kept thinking, is that a space capsule to the right of him? Yeah. Now, you can see he's got two octos because he's got one off on the side, but he's pretty well geared up. So they're they're doing a variety of tests there, and that just might be some file footage, too, True. Uh, you know, from an well, unrelated program. But Well, wherever he's at, the water is not warm. He's fully suited out. Yeah. At least you hope it's not warm, or he's going to be. 
Yeah, toasty. Uh, well, that does it for Scuba and the News. Do you have a safety story this week, Mac? Well, not necessarily a safety story, but we've been talking about uh, situational awareness. And uh, to continue that, the third part of that, <clears throat> excuse me, says how to develop the sixth sense of advanced scuba diving, the elusive situational awareness, because it's like, well, what do you mean? How do I get there? Basically, is if you hang around and experience divers long enough, you'll notice that a lot of times they seem to almost have a sixth sense or a gut feeling for when a problem might arise. Uh, if you're out there diving with a group of people, let's say you had 15 people out there suiting up, they're the ones who seem to spot like they have eyes at the back of their heads. They're the one guy who hasn't tightened his tank strap enough. Or during the dive, they seem to have an instinct for current changes. And they don't only know how their air consumption is, but they have an idea of what the air consumption is of the people they're diving with. So how do they do it? You know, it's not magic, but it is known as situational awareness. Like they said, apart from being bitten by a water spider and developing spider sense, uh, the best way to develop situational awareness is to, get this part, dive a lot and build up your experience level. You can do a few things to train for it and to help it develop faster. Developing a strong sense of situational awareness can help you avoid getting lost, running prematurely low on air, or finding yourself lost in a buddy situation. And one of the ways is to lose tunnel vision. Now, what does that mean? Well, when you're a newbie, when you start starting out, brandly new driver, what you're going to do most of your time is your and your mental resources are attuned to breathing nice, slow, deep breaths, spinning one foot at a time, not holding your breath when you come up. And then as you became better, more experienced, you started being able to orient yourself, enjoy the scenery, and take in more than, you know, what's around you. The tunnel vision of new divers is very common. Sometimes a bit of it lingers when we gain more experience. So the key is to train yourself not to focus too much on of your attention on any one thing for too long. Even if you're looking at, let's say, your compass as you navigate or the turtle swimming ahead, keep a bit of your attention on other things as well, such as the currents, your air consumption, position of your buddy. And if you've been doing low vis, you got a buddy with you, and you're doing your compass work, you can see what I'm talking about. You know, that's where you start making the arrangement. You don't want the buddy behind you, on top of you. You want him parallel to you so you can see him out of the corner of your eye. Maintain that awareness. They said, empty your mind. And, and when they say, pardon if this sounds a bit like new agey, but you try to steal your own chain of thoughts, that chain of ideas, concerns, and feelings that run through your brain. For most modern people, when you're doing things, just like background clutter or chatter in a crowded room, if losing the tunnel vision is not about letting ourselves be distracted by external things, then it's also not about being distracted by internal things. Uh, martial artists are really big on this, aiming for the state of Zen, where the mind is quiet, everything just comes together. Athletes call this being in the zone. Uh, like, say, whatever you call it, it's the point where your mind quiets down, your mind, body, and surroundings come together. A lot of that is training, repetition, and frequency of doing that task. There's a few ways to achieve this. Obviously, medication or medication. Yeah, that works. But <laughs> media, <laughs> meditation, medication will work. And yoga can work. And some prefer just walking. They're going to walk in a forest. You know, it cleanses the minds. But whatever you need to do to empty your mind, do it. Take the feeling with you below the surface. And for me, it's it's much like the, the ritual of gearing up for a dive. 
I don't necessarily speak to a lot of people while I'm doing it, but I take the time as I put my gear together, put on my wet suit or dry suit, leave the stress of normal life behind me, get into a Zen state for the dive. And I think a lot of us do that. Uh, we get out there, okay, the dive is the thing right now. And we let everything else sort of melt away. And we use it just that, stress relief. Uh, like they say, soldiers, martial artists, often train scenarios where they practice fictional but realistic scenarios and train on their own response to them. They say you can do the same in your own life and your scuba dive. As you watch people assemble their gear on a boat before a dive, look around and ask, what else could go wrong here? How can we prevent it from happening? And if it did go wrong, what would I do to help? Do the same from time to time during a dive in a variety of situations. Practicing these scenarios help train your brain to spot potential problems and prepares your neurological response for the unlikely scenario something does happen. It's also like, or something like when we uh, do training for a rescue course, here you need to get your mindset on everyday dive trip. So check in with yourself and your team. As you dive, ask yourself from time, time to time, how are you feeling? Are you overexerting yourself? Are you tense? Are you relaxed and happy? Does it seem like your dive buddy is the same? Got to do it for your team. Occasionally scan for uh, signs of fatigue, stress, equipment problems, your own and your team members. Before checking your air levels on your manometer or bearings on your compass, try to guesstimate what the answer will be before you look. And did you estimate correctly? Over time, they'll train you for your sense of air consumption and sense of direction, and you'll become better at sensing it. So rather than having to check it all the time, get in the habit of doing that. Watch for small indicators. Get to know your dive spots, how they behave in various conditions. Maybe your five, uh, favorite dive spot has a tendency to bad visibility after a few days of rain. Or maybe there's a specific point where the current tends to be current, turns to be really bad. And you watch for marine behavior. If you're turning the corner, you notice a lot of fish are hovering in the water ahead of you. You know, it's all pointing the same way. There's a good reason for that particular item. Maybe it's a strong current. Maybe it's a predator coming their way. So indicators can be extremely helpful, but they require you take note over a period of time and use what you see. So they were saying building situational awareness is not done overnight. It isn't taught in any specialty course. It's something you, the individual diver, must develop on their own. And the main difference between a good diver and a great diver can be your situational awareness. In, in skydiving, for example, they always teach you to check your gear before you put it on. When you put it on, as you're getting to the airplane, and then there's certain checks you make before you get out of the airplane. We're also taught, look around and see if your buddies, you know, where's their pilot chutes? Are the harnesses connected? Are they misrouted? It's awareness of your own, and by you looking at your own, you're helping other people by looking at theirs. It reminds you of what you got to do for yourself. So situational awareness, like they said, you got to be diving more. you got to be getting your experiences. Any comments or feedback? No, very good points. No, really, really some good points in there. You know, check the compass before you check the compass or, you know, think about where you are before you check your compass. Yeah. You know, and there's did, lots of things like that. Yeah. Did you align your compass before you went down? Did you get your headings? Do you know what you want to do with it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm usually pretty good about guessing my air when I look at it. The one I never am is the direction I'm going before I look at the compass. I'll have in my mind I'm facing east and I'll look and I'll be northwest. That That's why it's, it's, and it's good and bad for us when we do a lot of river diving because it's pretty easy to figure out where you're at. If yes. you're in the middle of the river, pat the bottom, which way the current goes, oh, okay, I'm this way. Yes. 
That way you know where the banks are, left and right. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm amazed going down. You know, sometimes an anchor line when you're going down it, you, you can get you can gauge which way the line's going down because of how the wind's blowing. And that will help you. But if you've got, if we're going down a, a subsurface buoy, uh, I'm always amazed at how, how quickly I can turn just going down because you, you'll kind of get to that point where you can't see the surface and you can't see the bottom. And then when the wreck visualizes, it will be in a different position than what I think it should be. Yeah. And only if you've got the scope of the line out and then the scope of the line gives you a sense of direction if you know what it was on the surface. But if it's short or straight down, you're right. You get on the bottom and do a 360, you cannot tell where you're at. Yeah. And, and Max Rec is one that I've, I'm never sure. You know, I could look at the compass, but just coming down, I'm always surprised. But uh, definitely some good points. Uh, just get out there and dive more. That's going to help you be a better diver. And like they said, you, you do need to vary your diving. I mean, I do a lot of river, but I do need to get out on the big lake a lot more and do a little more, not necessarily deep, deep dives, but get out there and do some deeper dives mm-hmm. to change the routine to get you back to thinking out of that little rut for river diving. Certainly. Well, does Mr. Jim have any DIYs today? Well, I was just going to think a little bit about snaps and hooks and clips. There's lots of ways, things you can find, such as hardware at the local hardware store that is a lot less expensive than buying it at the marine store or at the dive shop. Stainless steel is always good, and brass. Now, I'm a big fan of dog snap type hooks where the slide bar slides you know, straight up and down in the clip like a dog snap, and mm-hmm. I really like them double-ended, where I've got the dog snaps on both ends of it. It's very easy to hook onto your gear and then hook onto your BC. Um, you can always undo one end, and it leaves that little handle on there to help you with hanging onto things. Uh, they're very versatile. So that's my tidbit for tonight, is think about double-end dog snaps. Uh, the other thought of that is, you know, they're, I won't say the bigger the better, but make sure you can manipulate them with gloves or in the wintertime, three-finger mitts. You want something big enough that you can pull it down with your thumb, keep them lubricated with some WD-40 or some other items that will keep them from binding. And if you're using them in salt, make sure you rinse them, rinse them, and rinse them, and then give them a spray of WD-40 so they don't end up pitting on you and sticking. So that's kind of my tidbit for tonight. That was a good one because we were looking at some of those last week, as I recollect. Like when we do our bailout bottles, when we're doing ice diving, quite often we're using three or if not two finger mitts, and they're sometimes very awkward to unsnap your your bottles if you don't have the bigger clips. Mm -hmm. So I don't like the spring type that, you know, you just kind of, that would close itself around the line. Uh, you know, I, I call them suicide clips because uh, it doesn't take a whole lot to get that, you know, if it's just the kind of has a gate on it that will self-close with a spring on it and you could just rub it or snap it against the line and it'll hook itself on, 
that's not something you really want to want to use. I don't believe. In, in Skype, I just sent you a link uh, to something that I've used a few times in diving, and these are the uh, sometimes sometimes I call them panic snaps, and we use them in a equestrian. In that, you know, a lot of snaps, if you've got a load on them, they can sometimes be hard to open, or they're designed in a way that you can't. You have to somehow position them to where they can you can slide the load off. Yes. These are used on a horse. If you have a horse who's just freaking, you see them a lot in trailer ties, and you run your hand down the collar, uh, and they'll open up, and they can open up on a, under a full load. Uh, and then also they're, they're fairly easy to grip with gloves. So I've seen, I've, I've got a couple. I've used a, one of my dive flag before. Uh, I haven't seen one in brass though. I'm not sure that's, uh, some sort of, uh, nickel plated iron, I think, is the ones I've I've been able to get. Yeah, I've seen, I saw those at uh, Family Farm and Fleet. I think it is. Yeah, yeah. I, and I've I've never seen a diver use one. That I hadn't noticed on your flag. Yeah, if you look at my flag, I, I've got one on the uh, on the bottom. Uh, originally, I had it to where I could. Uh, that way, if I if I had somebody try and reel me in, I could quickly release it. Uh, but it's it's a it's a handy snap kind of. Kind of the same thing. I, I know last week when Jim and I were out uh, at the river, when I'm doing, he's doing line tending on me. Uh, I like having professional carabiners, lacking carabiners, on on, on those instances where you yes. can't afford not to be, and I want to come home. That's what I want to have: yeah, high true. quality, lacking carabiners on my dive gear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if you're, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Darren. I was going to say on the, that's the case of the panic snap. Is that while they're easy to get off, they could also be something that uh, if you were flailing around or in a certain situation, you could actually easily uh, loosen them and have them come off. Yeah, I was just going to comment on locking carabiners there. It comes back to that point of being able to snag it on a line. You know, if, if that barrel is screwed down the shaft and you hit it up against a line, it could get inside the carabiner. And you'd be amazed, you know, you catch a big line and once you get some tension on it, it could pull itself in, but you'll never be able to get that snap open to get it off. So that's where the locking is great. You can screw that barrel down and it's not going to, not going to open when you don't want it to. You know, another thing, if you, you know, a, a poor man's version of that is a chain link that has the screw on it. Um, you know, it's like a C and it's got a little threaded area that you just thread up and down. It closes the open section of the C. Mm -hmm. Not as good as a carabiner, but still gives you that safety secure lock that you can easily undo or remove. You know, another one, Mac mentioned it, uh, with our staging bottles or bailout bottles, pony bottles. You know, they each have different riggings, but I've taken some, uh, also from a, um, farm store two inch or two and a half inch brass rings and if you take the valve out of the tank place the ring under the valve and then screw the valve back in it's a great place to snap a, a double end snap on uh to just hang that tank you're hanging it right off the valve so you know there's it's a quick and easy and if it's if you don't need that snap or that ring it just kind of rattles around on the tank and 
doesn't hurt a thing. So they're just, you know, quick hacks of different down and dirty, cheap items that make diving easier for us. You know, we we were talking about that and I was, you know, like the the snap that you're talking about using. I always talk about in diving, especially in the river, never attach something to you you can't get rid of, like your goodie bag. Yep. And or your 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 line, a lot of times I have snapped them onto my D rings on my vest. Sometimes when your hands are really numb and you've got those two fingers, three fingers on, it's hard to release them. Mm-hmm. My option to that now is taking a an O ring, putting around the handle of my gear, my bag or my line, hooking that to the snap shackle or the shackle. So if I have to, I can break that O ring. Yeah. And if you want something a little bit stronger than O-ring, uh, those double round snorkel keepers, you know, the, the plastic, it's got, looks like an eight with a elongated center. Yeah. And it goes on the snorkel, you know, around the mask and then on the snorkel again. They're plastic. You can always pull and break those or easily cut them. Uh, but they'll hold pretty securely. You know, that's a great thing to use for your console. Put it on the console, uh, and then you can double snap your console and snap your console up onto the chest. Uh, or, you know, anything you want to be able to attach, if you can get that ring around it, 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 it works great. Another one is the uh, wire ties, um, zip ties, zip wraps for wire. You know, uh, you can always cut them with a scissors. You can cut them with a knife. They're very strong. They're very cheap. But it's a great way to put a loop on something uh, that you can always cut or snip or get rid of versus trying to break off a piece of hard plastic or metal um, that you want to get rid of. We just I just found a new item. Uh, I got it in the store, brought it in from Trident, and it's called an Add-A-Ring. It's basically a piece of, like, webbing, uh, the web you'd use for your harness. And it's got a very sharp threaded pin in it. So you push the pin through your existing harness, and then there's a nut that screws on the back of it, and it's got uh, an O-ring, well, a a round, like a split ring or a D-ring on the end of it. So if you've got a place where you really would like to be able to hang something, but you don't have a a D-ring on your harness there, you know, this is a way to modify and... Add a eh, medium weight, medium duty, not as good as a, as a true D-ring webbed into the harness, but um, good enough to hold a console or a light or something like that. Yeah, you showed it to me last week. I was very impressed with that. It's like I hadn't thought of those. Yeah. But for it's small just, utility items, it'd be great. It's available from Trident. Uh, so if your local dive shop carries Trident dive gear, um Easy to obtain. It was under what, under five bucks, something like that. Yeah. So there's there's lots of little tricks, and we'll try to bring you a few each week. Excellent. Well, thank you for that. That's. I'll have to go and take a look at that. Well, did anybody get any diving in in the last week? Matt did. I tended for him. He got a river dive in. Well, we under we the went ice. out. We went out to Hidden Valley first, and uh, we did post pictures on the club site. And we were disappointed in that with this, the day we went out was minus five when I left the house. And when we're out there on the ice, Jim is shoveling snow wet 
And test hole was what, two inches, Jim? Yeah, two inches of honeycomb ice. Which surprised the heck out of me. Were you expecting more ice or less? I was expecting good ice and not honeycomb. Huh. wonder why it was honeycombed. Well, it was honeycombed because we had a lot of snow. The snow came before the freezing temps. And I think that really impacted uh, the formation of the ice because the snow kind of floated on the surface and then froze up, and that's where you got it. The, the ice started forming up from that. And the ice just hasn't had a chance in our area. The water's just not cold enough to freeze from the bottom up. So it's everything's freezing from the top down, and with that layer of snow on there, it acts as a insulator, and uh, we just haven't gotten good no, good uh, ice. So from there, we went over to the river. Uh, pictures are also posted on the club site for that. Uh, a good bit of snow on the ground, and the ice started at the shoreline probably out to 10 feet, depending on where at in the current you were at. And like Jim said, and I held up a couple of pieces of ice I had broken through, I had some really nice clear ice out there, but it did not have any snow on it. So the ice that we did have out there was clear ice. The closer I got in the shore, it got thicker, of course. And for people who think you can, you can, you can break your way through the ice in three feet of water with an inch of ice over you, you are very hard pressed to try to break that with your tank. On the surface, I could fall through it. On the bottom trying to get out, not going to happen. So if you're out there in the ice, you need to have your line on with a good tender. Cool. Yes, uh, it was cool. <laughs> was, was there any good visibility or is it? Uh, visibility was not bad. I was very pleased. Three to five feet, depending on where you're at. Uh, did not see any fish, which surprised me. No crayfish. Uh, a lot of gravel. And Jim, we forgot to pick that bottle up I threw on the ice. Yes. And that was a darn good bottle. I mean, it's like, whoa. That's why I picked it up and put it on the ice. Uh, I didn't think about it until after I was already home and it was like, oh, we forgot Max bottle. Same here, but it still may be there. It could. Yep, we did have ice flows. And if you're out there diving, when you come up and you hit your head, you know, be careful coming up. Yeah, that's, uh, as we were talking about earlier today, it's, you certainly don't want to be solo diving in this type of condition. No, not at all. But we will probably get a dive in next week prior to the New Year's dive. Yeah, it looks like Monday's going to be a good day to get wet. Supposed to be up in the 50s or close to 50. That would be definitely a river dive. Ah, 50s already. Again, quite a, quite a swing in temperatures. Yeah. Isn't it, though? I, mean, I hate I hate saying I was looking forward to the cold weather, but it, it seems when you get it this cold this quick, it keeps from uh, the winter sicknesses don't seem to be as bad. I don't know why. Yeah. Well, there is, a, there is a nasty stomach flu going around right now. Oh, really? I hadn't heard about that. Yeah, so everybody else can keep that. I'm I'm okay if I don't get that one. Uh, I second that. I, I've got my flu shot this year. I've I had an early fall cold, so I'm hoping that between the two of those, I've I, I might be able to make it through this winter without being sick. Well, I'd like to have some good ice for a good ice dive. Sure, would be nice. Yeah, when I saw that temperature, I was thinking this is going to be a year. We're going to have uh, we could have uh, our first ice dive in the second weekend of January. Bit- Still might. I hope so. Well, let's see. What else do we have up here in the docket? So, uh, Hey, I got some cool new scuba gear that just, it's been announced, 
by Aqualung. Oh, okay. They are coming out with a full face mask that you can insert your own regulator into. Now, much like the old, you know, uh, I'm going to say triangular shaped goggles with a chin extension, the old black ones that were around. This is uh, going to be silicon seals and retail price is going to be $3.99 and you insert your own regulator and it, I believe, will take uh, OTS or AGA comms. Oh, well, that's interesting. So if you want to get in the full face without full face without spending, you know, seven or eight hundred dollars, you can get this one for probably around four. I think it's going to be the so so factor, have have like a check one. valve. So you just breathe exhausting in your regulator as normal. It's just that that exhaust goes into the volume of the face mask. Um, most of them it probably has like a nose cup, so you'll. Exhausted the nose cup, and that'll take it out. But when you inhale, it'll uh, flush a little better, so it won't fog up. I haven't. They've only seen some information on it. I haven't had the chance to get my hands on a sample yet. But they're taking pre-orders now for spring. Heck, oh, that's interesting. Uh, the, I like the idea also being able to add a com in. Yeah, we've got some diving coming up that comms are going to be real important on. And if that's not too hard to change out gear, then you could almost have three or four masks that you could have across the group of people. Yeah. And then there are certainly advantages to a full face and ice diving is one of them. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things. I, I don't know why it hasn't bothered me, but when I've done ice diving, it seems like a little cold water in the face is the least of my worries. I think if, if you're doing rescue diving or if you're doing uh, safety diving, your comfort level goes up tremendously. Plus, you don't have that shock. And if you're down for long-term oh, immersion, yeah. uh, it makes a heck of a difference on your body heat. Oh, Isn't that right, Jim? Yeah, it big does. I mean, for me, the first couple of ice dives I did, um, the cheekbones, because my mask kind of sat above or on the cheekbones. And, you know, the, the, that part of my face, it just went right into the sinuses. And then I tried a full face one time and it was, wow, world of difference. You know, the hard thing with a full face is getting used to clearing, clearing your nose or clearing your sinuses with the, uh, with the way you have to do it. Cause you can't just do a typical pinch. You've got to do it through the nose piece. The items I like on a full face are all those you mentioned, with one exception. If you do have a free flow and you got to take it off for your your backup, that's a pain in the butt. There are some out there, though, that do have a, a valve in the mask that you can secondary, put a secondary line to it. So if you lose your regulator, you can all, you have an alternate air supply going to your mask. It's the exception, not the norm. But... Again, usually when you're using a full face, you also have a high-quality regulator. <clears throat> That's not in the habit or historical aspect of doing free flows. Right. And there again, with a uh, my experience, because I have had a free flow with my regulator um, at 160 feet, 
I ended up coughing into it and spitting some water into it, uh, and it froze and stuck. And I tried to clear it and couldn't clear it, so it was, well, time to do a controlled ascent to the surface. And I just, you, you continue to breathe off that free-flowing regulator as long as you can. I mean, you're, you're the free flow, the problem with the free flow is you're going to lose air very quickly. You're wasting a lot of air. My mind, my thought was, I might as well get every breath out of this regulator that I can. So if I switch over and go to my backup reg, my primary is going to continue to free flow because I only had one, one first stage. Didn't have double tanks or redundancy there. So I had to leave the first stage turned on. You know, why use twice as much air? Because if I, everything that's coming out of this primary regulator is going to be wasted if I take it out of my mouth. If I leave it into my mouth, I'm only wasting what free flows. Every breath I take off of it is an extra breath that I wouldn't have if I switched to the other regulator. Does that make sense? Did you say you didn't have a backup? I had a backup second stage. I had an octopus. On the same tank, though? On the same tank, on the same oh. first stage. Uh. Yeah, so and I, I could have gone to my pony bottle. But okay, that was what I meant. You you did have a yes. bailout. Oh, yes, I had a bailout okay. bottle. Yeah, I had so, a pony soon as bottle. As soon as you say 160 feet, I was going to say, if you didn't have a bailout, I was going to kick your butt. <laughs> yeah, no, I had a, had a pony bottle. But my thought was, why waste the air that's in my primary tank by going to my pony. As long as I can breathe off this regulator, yeah, it's free-flowing. I'm wasting a lot of air. But every breath I get off this regulator is, you know, another breath that I don't have to take out of my pony. It gives me one more breath to do deco if I'm in a deco. Fortunately, at that point, I was not in a deco situation, you know. And generally, I don't do deco on single tank, you know, even with a backup or a pony. It's, you know, if I'm going to do deco, I'm going to do it on double tanks because that's just too many things can happen with a single tank to rely on it for deco. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, well, I, and I even think... though we we do all that prepared and with our bailouts, historically, though, we're always leaving a tank at the anchor and a tank at 30 feet and quite often a tank at 20 feet yep. for those particular occasions. If I yep. need it, you got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think logically, if you've got a free flow and you can still breathe off it, you should because if you go to your other your bailout, uh, say you do need more air after that, most likely your free flow is exhausted all the air, so you're just gaining. You, it, it's going to be gone whether you use it or not, so you might as well use it. Yeah. Now, in a tech environment, you know, one of the things they teach you in tech is, you know, when you've got a backup air source, you switch to the backup air source, you shut off your primary air source so that it can stop free flowing. You give it a chance to warm up, to melt out, and then you go back to it. You know, you solve the problem and you go back to it. Um, when I had this free flow on a single tank with a backup pony, that was, you know, no, I'm just, I'm done. And that was one of the reasons that I went to doubles and went into tech training because you know, I wanted to do those deeper dives. And when I did this one, I was just... uh inexperienced in deep diving and you know it was my first couple of times and i got lucky and learned a lesson 
Well, cool. Words to live by. So. Well, Mac, you have anything you want to plug? Now, next week, uh, hopefully be the last chance to get a pre-New Year's dive in. And after that, it's New Year's. Huh? Well, how, how about this uh, other website? Did you want to talk about that? or I, I just put a, a note on there. You could put that somewhere. On the head for treasure is uh, a site I have. And quite often, you'll find pictures there of what we're diving here. So if you're interested in ice diving or the river diving, check those out. I usually have more slides or pictures on it than I do in uh, the club site. And it gives you an appreciation for where we go and what we see down there. So you might find it interesting. Yeah. Uh, what I like in this particular article you posted this week was showing that cross-section of the ice. Uh, because that's one of those things where it looks thin enough. I mean, that doesn't look that thick. Because uh, what is that about? That's less that was, than half that, an inch. That's less than an inch, probably a little over half inch. A little over half inch. Yeah. So is that something you could walk on? No. <laughs> yeah. No. So you can't no. walk on it, but it'd be you'd be hard pressed to push up through it. Right. And if you're in, if you're not, and that was with the bottom, you know, three feet, you, you can you, you have a purchase. If you're in free water and it's only got that inch of ice, you're hard pressed to break through that. Yeah. So another reason you want to be on a tether and a good tender. Cool. Well, let's see. I'd like to thank WRVO Radio for putting us on the air again for another season. WRVO Radio has shows about hunting, fishing, and the great outdoors. 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. WRVO Radio. And if you want to follow us, you can go to our website. Recently updated to a new host, www.scubobsessed.com. We're on Twitter, at ScoobObsessed, where you can get articles throughout the week. And let's see, we've got other stuff we, we can plug. Uh, Mudclub.scubobsessed.com, Facebook.com, forward slash ScoobObsessed. Uh, just keep an eye out and watch some things. And then we had Mac's site, OnTheHuntForTreasure.com. And we'll, we'll add some links to the, to that site as well. I think we are getting time for that time of the show. Time for that time of the show, I guess. So that doesn't, doesn't really make sense, but are you guys? We know are, what. You, you know what I was, I was trying to get to say? Sure. So, something like that. Okay. Well, here we go. This is a conversation between a man and his new girlfriend. The woman asks him, do you drink beer? And the man says, yes. Well, how many a day? And he says, well, usually about three. Well, how much do you pay for a beer? And he says, well, $5, which includes a tip. Um, and then she asks him, well, well, how long you been drinking? He says, oh, about 20 years, I suppose. So a beer costs $5, and you have three beers a day, which puts you, you're spending at about $450. And in one year, it would be approximately $5,400, correct? And then he says, well, yeah, sure, correct. Well, if in one year you spend $5,400 and not accounting for inflation the past 20 years, you're spending about $108,000, $108, correct? And he says, well, yes. Do you know that in that time, if you didn't drink so much beer, that money could have gone into a uh, step-up interest savings account or after accounting for compound interest in the past 20 years, you could have bought a new dive boat. And the man asks his girlfriend, says, well, do you drink beer? And she says, no. Well, where's your dive boat? <laughs> yeah. Answer that one. Yeah, yeah. So, but uh, you, you know what happened after that? I think there's a concussion involved. Well, actually, I heard I heard the rest of the story. They left the bar. 
and went to the bank. And while they were in the bank, a bank robber came in, pulled out his gun, fired a shot into the ceiling, said, I'm robbing the bank, everybody on the ground. Boom, everybody hits the floor. I mean, this guy already fired one shot. They know he's not fooling around. He walks up, and as he's going to the teller, he trips and falls, and his mask comes off. So he jumps up and says, all right, who saw me? And one guy over in the corner says, I did. You better leave before I call the cops and can identify you. Boom. The guy shoots him. The burglar shoots him. Robber says, who else saw me? Guy in the other corner raises his hand and said, I saw you shoot that guy. You're going to die. You're going to go to jail and die. Boom. Bank robber shoots him right in the head. Dead. He looks around and says, did anybody else see my face? The lady we just talked about said, I think my husband did. (laughs) Whoa. Oh, that's rough, man. That's rough. Not only does he not have a dive boat, but his wife turned him in. Well, on that note, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. Be careful about your wife and what she sees. And remember, no robbers were harmed in the making of tonight's commercial. I'll be a dickhead comment while I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there was one thing I was going to say, but I had to stop.